This is a guy who basically was walking along the train tracks. Nine call made by a teen who was hit by a train and lost his legs oh. has been released by the police. I just got hit by a train. What part of your body was hurt? My legs. My dick. Are they broken? I think it cut them off. I think it cut them off. It cut them off? Yeah. Cops say 17-year-old Jacob Ohl was walking along train tracks with earbuds in when a train came up behind him. He's heard calmly explaining to a dispatcher what happened. Did you hear that? That is... Uh... How, how are your legs? Are they broken? No, I think they. I think it cut them off. Imagine just laying there, like, with your fucking legs out with your feet off and, like, making a phone call. Yeah. I mean, he must, I mean, what, like, you know, Valium times Uh, 10? I mean, how can you be like that? I mean, uh, I I got a theory here. He's a I think he's so fucking dumb because he's walking (laughs) along a train tracks with his fucking earphones in that his his brain is not engaged with his legs and oh look I've lost my leg that's the thing I mean what the fuck how do you fall along it so that it just chops your legs and not like saws you in half right you're walking like that and with it behind you and yeah. it pushes you over and you go underneath it ah, and you yeah. slip around. Yeah. Huh. But imagine that. Huh. But I mean, the, the first thing when I when I was hearing that I was just thinking, Oh, this is BS. This is not real. I mean I mean it's, it's real, real, but it's I mean real. it's sort of a guy. I mean I guess his mum comes on. It's sort of like the 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 fact that he was there walking around with his I mean, you know, maybe he was Trying to do something else. I mean, I mean, not. I, I don't think. What are you implying? Well, have sex. you know, no, no, no. I mean, maybe, he was, yeah. did he have his cock out? <laughs> no, but maybe, yeah, maybe he was looking for. Maybe he was looking for. Maybe he was looking for like you know, nineteen seventy six versions of Playboy that were shoved in the bushes somewhere, man. Like what we he found was, as you know, stealing. Maybe the guy wanted to die. I mean, come on. I mean, maybe you know, he wanted that's, a half tie, half That's probably uh, what Dutch happened. And he thought that the that the place to find out would be on the train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, man. Maybe he really wanted to die. Maybe that was it. Right. But his mum comes on later and says, uh, you know... Uh, How, why was his mum there? No, no, she was, no, she wasn't <laughs> at the scene. She wasn't at the scene. <laughs> she was holding his head. <laughs> yeah. She lost her legs. In fact, <laughs> she, she went... I lost her arm. Kicked him onto the tracks. <laughs> I lost my son. <laughs> Imagine that fucking... Like your son, you it's just hate weird. your I son mean, for years. Because, He's annoying if you, you. If you listen to the like, to the like, lady, she's hey, pretty calm. Here. <laughs> yeah, they're, she's they're, like, they're so pretty, what happened? They're yeah. pretty trained to do that. I think. Right. Ah, okay. Yeah, they don't yeah, give yeah. a shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so why, what happened? One of a billion calls <laughs> yeah. to them, right? Yeah. So what's next? Because if, if you saw, and it's like, what did you lose? Yeah, I lost my leg. Have you listened to the guy who was flying the plane? Have, have you listened yeah, to that their recording as well? He's just fun. so remarkably calm yeah. and cool, isn't he? You know? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to do a barrel roll and I'm going to call it a day. It's like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah, cool. Oh my God. No, no, no. We, we've all heard it, but. Uh, so he died, is, right? Is, 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 he died. Yeah. He yeah. died, yeah. So is that the end of the call then? Or? No. Well, yeah, yeah. That's the end of the call. <laughs> I was just saying yeah, that uh, yeah. because his mum was there. She's like, "Yeah, I found them. <laughs> I found both your legs." <laughs> uh, 
They're over here, son. Come over here. Oh, no, you can't walk. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I wanted to talk about was this. um, You've heard about Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement. You you know know this. Um, Yeah, I know. Anthony Bourdain's girlfriend are you going to talk about? Asia. You know who? Mario worked with Harvey Weinstein. Wow. With the company, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Weinstein what? company? Or like their with the company. motion picture company or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> fucking company. They produced The yeah. Matrix, right? Yeah. Amongst others, yeah. Tons of English patients of pianists. So yeah. did you have any first-hand experience with him? You should see my hashtag. I, I, <laughs> I don't think Mario's his type. <laughs> Me for <laughs> did he touch your half Thai, half foreign dick? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you beat him to the plant and whip your cock out and have a wank? <laughs> no, that, uh, I mean, but you met Harvey? No, I have met him. No, but I had meetings, several meetings with. The did, did he strike you? Yeah. As, did he strike you as a weird dude? Well, or I haven't like, met him personally, but, but but yeah, like on a call or something like that, or in a meeting. No, I I dealt with his team, his team, got, yeah. it, got, it, time, got it, but uh, it it, it was known. In yeah. the industry, way before this came out, that yeah, he was a scumbag. And like yeah. you have like five degrees of separation from him, and you knew. Imagine, you know, that sure. everyone must have fucking known if you know if that news was that mm. far-reaching. I feel, yeah, yeah, interesting. So oh, the yeah. the news with him this week is interesting with the Asia Argento, yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, a, Asia Argento, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with the seventeen, and she's clearly in bed with him. So everyone's dirty. Everyone's dirty. The people are accusing sure. fucking. Uh, Harvey Weinstein are dirty. The people who are probably above Harvey Weinstein are fucking dirty. Everyone's dirty. Everyone's fucking shagging we, kids in Hollywood. It's like if right. you're not dirty, they're at least complicit. Exactly. I mean, and this, I mean, this is not a thing. I mean, this is not a, a United States of America thing. I no, mean, this, she's she's not even American. Asia Argento. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, in general, I but, mean, but Hollywood know. was a hot spot, and that's that's in the okay. States. Yeah, but yeah. Because, because that's sort of the epic, come epic to Thailand center of and and uh, yeah, Vietnam to do to to fucking shag kids as well. But yeah, but any, I mean, it's any, disgraceful. Any man with power often of struggles to to wield it. Of course, and I mean, this is. I mean, in the Netherlands, it happened, but I mean. You know, I don't want to. I mean, we maybe should bring it back to Thailand, but I mean, this is happening every single freaking day yeah. here. I mean, and I mean, Mario knows probably better than me. No, no, no. But I mean, I mean, right, it's, it's true. I mean, industry. you know, Not power. You I mean, you have. I mean, you know, have power, right? And I mean, you know, you want to. People want to get certain things done, and that's how you sort of it's, get things done, right? I mean, it's, and it, uh, and it's like. Sh- if if you want to know the trueness of a man given power, mm. yeah, then agree, you fucking agree. know who yeah, he is. Yeah. You know? and I mean this is as old as as fucking yeah. fucking mankind. I mean, uh, come on, I absolute mean, power, yeah, right. I mean, you know, so the fact that it came out, that's a good thing, I guess. I mean, some people. I mean, like uh, what's his name now? Uh, the guy from House of Cards, Kevin, Kevin Spacey. Spacey. Yeah. Did, you, yeah. did you guys see the, his movie opening this week? Yep, one hundred and twenty six dollars it made. Totally. Globally, yeah. yeah. Globally. Yeah. So they're really like they're, no they're, 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 he's, he's dead. He's gone. Boy, yeah. That's, yeah. that's too bad. I really. One hundred twenty-six dollars. He's no a great actor. <laughs> that's like three love people. Kevin Spacey. Damn. He's a great actor. Damn. Did you guys see Billionaires Boys Ke- Club? That that was yeah. what it is. Yeah, that, that's that what movie, made one hundred twenty-six dollars. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah. yeah. oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? I love Spacey. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it because it's you were one of the yeah. 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 People, you're, you're in like one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, 
No, I mean it had then it had probably a bigger release in Thailand than it had in the U.S. Then I guess because yeah, it's it was just a headline. Here. I didn't really read into it. Well, but uh, it had a major bucks. release, but people didn't go. So the ironic part about all this is that I don't know the percentage, but of Thai people, what percent do you think actually owns an actual legitimate driver's license? It's a good question. Got to be sub fifty, I would say. It's <laughs> a good question. Bangkok, it might be higher, but. Outside of Bangkok, I just don't even know if, especially the older folks, even are concerned about. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard so many stories about just paying the right person to get the to get the license. So. Sure. What what age do you have to be, Greg? Do, do you know this to drive a moped, a, a small motorbike? Uh, I have no idea. I eight, mean, outside eight years Bangkok, old. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's surely some not you. you I don't think you're that far away, Willie. To be honest, man. I know you have to be at least three months old to ride one. <laughs> <laughs> to hold on to the side of the mirrors yeah. and stand in the middle between your parents. Isn't that fantastic? Hands. That's one of the most, I think, culturally shocking things for people when they visit here is seeing the way that kids are treated on motorbikes. But I see phalangs yeah. now with with uh, daddy, mummy, uh, and the kid on the bike. Yeah, I, I'd do that. I would do that. So. When you first got here, how did you feel about not wearing a helmet on a motorbike? I'm fine. When you first got here, were you fine? Uh, absolutely fine because I, I rode motorbikes in the UK and the helmet was always a hindrance to me because, uh, as you can see, I've got a wonderful head of hair. <laughs> and uh, I just love to, to have the wind blowing in my hair, man. It, it's, it's like the 1970s Homer Simpson or something, isn't it, where he's got that <laughs> really thick thatch right. of hair, man. You know? <laughs> yeah, I like to feel the wind on my scalp as well. <laughs> <laughs> the point I was getting at, though, is like, for me at least, I, I was pretty nervous early on. I was like, you know, because your indoctrination in the West is like, my mom would be so disappointed in me that I'm not wearing a helmet right now. But yeah. now I, do, I don't even think twice about going two soys on the back of a motorbike. And what about seatbelts in cars? I've, I'm, I'm fairly vigilant about it, but I don't wear them in taxis. Does Never. anybody? I mean, I that's, no. that's a pretty weird thing, though, that we, yeah. do, you know, that's like cultural. Yeah, man, it? back home, it was like the car doesn't go until everyone's buckled up. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's the rule. Yeah. But and and when, when we went back to, to Canada a few years ago with my son and my wife, I told my wife, like, if if our kid is in the car and he's not in a car seat, like, for whatever reason, you're, pick, you're taking him out to feed him some food or he's crying or whatever, don't take a picture and post it on Facebook because that, you know, all my Canadian friends will be like, how irresponsible of you, yeah. how dare you do Kids that? Kids in car seats, Greg, you're so right. Yeah. My, my, my wife's family, uh, her sister, she just, she's got a newborn and she's got it on a lap yeah. in the passenger side. And that would be God. so frowned upon, right? I think in, people spend in, thousands of dollars on car seats in the States and in Canada yeah. and the UK. I think in Canada that would be, I'm pretty Child sure that abuse? would be illegal. Yeah. You could get fined for that and have your kids. Do you know what, though? Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see the stats, would you, to, to see which way is best. I mean, it is, do, do much more people die in in Thailand. I don't know about kids, but per capita on the road, yes, much more people uh, die. Thailand is number two or number three in the world. Number one. Yeah, they are. Oh, it's number one. Number now, one, right above Libya. Yeah. 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 Is that right, Greg? Yeah. Just uh, by, oh, yeah. Uh, according to one measurement, there's another one I that rated it number two or three. Yeah, one of those. So it's Thailand, Libya, and then like nine African countries. Yeah, it's an African country. Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't say a lot. Yeah, and we're that. just coming off the back of, of the Thai New Year, the Songkran, and they it's like a, a famous. Uh, Axiom or whatever you call it, it's seven days of what seven, days, seven, days, seven days. days of death. It's like a celebration. <laughs> yeah, it's See, so it's, morbid. It's, yeah, <laughs> but I think I think a lot of that has to do with the drinking. Yeah, I, I'd say yeah. I'd say probably a full forty or fifty percent of deaths over those days. Mm. There, there, there was something like four hundred thousand people uh, 
checked and who failed breathalyzing tests yeah. during. Yeah, I, 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 I remember this being can't so shocked. Be right, I can't. It can't be right. Four hundred thousand. Yeah, and I double checked it with another news source, and it was 400,000 men, you know? I mean, it's... It's insane. It's insane. And, and it's, it, it just goes back to education, like a lot, like most things do. But for me, when you grew up, it's like you do not drink and drive, period, mm. ever, you know? And then if you did that, it's like, it's like ooh, man, like you, you'd be... It's sort of like an ostracized yeah. thing. Like, that's uh, really, like it, really frowned on. If you do it, yeah. you, you kind of spook yourself, you know? Or like, like it's something that affects you and, and you really try to avoid. But here, it's just such a different the, mentality. The ties, yeah, I mean, it's a different sort of outlook on life and death here as well, isn't it? There you know? is. And, uh, you know, I'll drive slowly. Yeah. But they think yeah. they're driving slowly, but, you know, sometimes not. And the booze is such a differentiator because they're already such risky drivers. That, and when you're, when you're drinking... It happens to me when I'd ride a motorbike in, in Ho Chi Minh and I'd have a few beers and I'd, I'd go home. You you're just have this false confidence about your, about your driving. Well, they've got the Buddha on the dashboard, so yeah. all is forgiven. So, and, right? and the a couple of amulets. The, the, yeah. But I, I remember being on the back of a motorbike with a policeman who was completely pissed out of his head. Uh, we rolled out of this uh, sort of cabaret place upon Duran Senate Wong. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, get on my bike. We're going to go to the next place. Jumped on the back of this bike, and it's only about 50 metres down, down the road. And he, he tried to turn in <laughs> his place, man. And just caught, j- just caught the corner of this sort of gate going into this other cabaret place, man. And I forget, oi! He's like, my belay, my belay. Well, that, that's absolutely rat ass, mate. I'll tell that's you. That's the thing, it's, is it's easy to giggle and laugh about this, but then. You know, the guy, the same guy goes out the next day and he runs over a, a, a two-year-old kid who's crossing the street sure, and kills her. Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. That's when it becomes... <laughs> not funny. This is not good. Uh, I know, know. It, I know. And, and there's just seems like no appetite to but, make real change about any of that. But I, I guess my point was, that was a policeman. <laughs> no, I don't. I want to build up. In uniform, so I, on a cop bike. I live, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I live over at Anut and every day, kind of by the big sea where everybody crosses... This guy, every single day, this policeman, he waves, he directs traffic. He's fu- he's gone every day. He's <laughs> fucked up, and I think almost everybody knows it around there too. Like people don't even really listen to him. He just uses his whistle. I can hear it from my condo. He's just out there getting a paycheck for just being drunk all uh, afternoon. Damn road came out. That's about it. Well, I think we t- we talked about this actually on a, on a recent show we did. I think it was the bonus episode on the Bangkok podcast where you can you can access those if you're a patron patreon subscriber but we my, my co-host ed he came up with a really great term that i'd never heard before and he said that that uh thailand is a shit happens culture yeah and it ties in with buddhism and uh, and, and reincarnation and karma and like if something bad happens to you hey man that's the universe what are you gonna do can't you can't fight that so um whereas for a western mentality it's very very different it's how would you describe the the western mentality the Western mentality is, is, is take responsibility for your actions. You know, you, you're responsible for what you do and the outcome of those actions, you know, yeah. which I think, I think would be really, really fine to introduce to a greater degree in time. Yeah. No, and it's, it's, it's weird to say that it's the right way to, right thing to do and maybe unfair to say it's the right thing, but it's hard to live here and not, not become a little bit of a backseat, you know, like, God, I wish we could just move it two degrees, you know, yeah, t- yeah. towards the West in that direction. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Thailand is one of those places as well, isn't it? Where the rules are there to be bent, broken, manipulated, um, and there's 
usually an easy get, uh, usually an easy get out. Mm. Uh, you know, a few but, hundred bucks. Yeah, will, but, will, but, but will that's what I things. love about Thailand. And ab- absolutely, absolutely. I yeah. think that's one of its appeals to yeah. me. Of course, there's inherent danger of you know four hundred thousand people <laughs> during Songkran getting yeah. pulled over for drunk driving. But mm. so yeah, to 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 sort of build on your point, Jim. For me, I love the ease at which problems can be sorted out. Yep. And, and that stretches from minimal problems. So I remember a few years ago, I was in Koh Samui, and I just brought a lilo, you know, a blow-up uh, thing that you uh, go blow, on the sea on. Blow-up sheep. Oh, sorry. I think of something different. <laughs> Greg, come on. We've only known each other 30 minutes. Um but no, and I needed someone to blow it up, and I saw a um, like a, a sort of vagranty type Thai guy walk down the street, <laughs> uh, walk down the beach, and I gave him two hundred baht to blow it up. That's uh, a good deal. Uh, so I, I like the ease at which those kind of problems can be solved. But then when you get right to the right to the top level, um, uh, about two years ago, I was I finished my job on the building site. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a construction manager uh, and I look after the like, large-scale industrial constru- construction projects and it was about 10 o'clock at night and uh, the, right outside our building site there was uh, a small shop where you could get a beer and I had one can of Chang uh, and this was out in Lacrabang and I had to drive back into Bangkok and I got to the, the second or third toll booth and there was the, the policeman there who had the, the thing that you have to blow into that gives like the cursory first look at a lilo. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. you'd add one beer. Yeah, I'd one beer. And, and hey, I, could you play this lilo? I'll give you two hundred baht. <laughs> and I blew hot anyway. And he said, uh, "Over there, so you, you you know next to the 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 toll booth is like an office and stuff." Uh, and so I had to go and and park over there. And I and I went and he said, "Come and sit down here." And he said he wanted five thousand baht, uh, basically for like money. Uh, and I said to him, "Well." Come on, I've only had one beer, blah, blah. And he showed me a thing. He said, no, look, you know, it's orange. It should be green. And I said, no, no, no I'm, I'm not paying it. I'm not paying it. And uh, well, the, a minute later, I saw what looked like to be a more senior policeman come in because the other police, the police guys that I was sat with stood up and they wired him. So I, I called him over and said, hey, 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 come here. I said, these guys are asking me for 5,000 baht. Uh, and, and I don't even think I'm drunk. I've had one beer, blah, blah, blah. And he, he sort of said, okay, wait a minute. And, and he took the other two Thai guys over and they had a quick word with each other. And he came back to me and he said, okay, 500 baht. And I said to him, I ain't got any money. I ain't got anything. He said, okay, no problem. Wow. I'm surprised. Uh, and that he just let me go. Skills. Man. Negotiation skills. Yeah. I would have given in faster than but Timbuktu. If, if that was England, you would be fucked. Your name would be Drag through the mud. I don't know if it's like this in America, but you're in the local paper because you got caught drinking. It's public driving. record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and your, your name is... I, I just like the way here you can sort things out with a little bit of money. If you want to pay your, things, pay your way out of things, you can do that if you've got enough money. And I think that's the way it should be the whole world over. I fucking love being in Thailand. I and well, a bit of diplomacy as well, right? I mean, the Thais are pretty renowned for their diplomacy, right, Greg? Um, you know, they're... You know, I push back it, a little bit on that. It's the land of smiles, cute bottoms, alcoholics, plastic bags, and compromise. You know? <laughs> I love the plastic bags portion of that. <laughs> well, corruption is great when it works in your favor, but sure. imagine, <laughs> imagine if you know you're 
you're you're coming it comes down to something like that with you you'll pay five thousand baht for something to happen and another guy will pay six thousand baht for it not to happen and that's where it can get dicey. The biggest wallet wins. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And my wallet is very small. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say that. Just ask my wife. She knows. Um, but you know, like I said, corruption is great. And then let's call it a spade a spade. That's, that's corruption. And it's great when you can get stuff done and shortcuts. Usually it's pretty harmless. Jaywalking. Oh, I got that. Oh, you want this? I'm not open on Saturday. Well, uh, how about now? Oh, now I'm open on Saturday. Whatever. Yeah. But when it gets, it gets to more serious stuff, then it becomes... Mm. Mm. Not so black and white, I think. Agree. But but I think like to, to steer us a few degrees to the right on that, like the thing I like about Thailand or one of them is is just how how easy it is to accomplish most things. Like like you and, and you could you could say that this is a negative in certain ways, but like you go to Koh Samui and you want to rent a motorbike, it takes you about about two and a half yeah. minutes to in ten dollars to get that done. If you if you do that in, in where I'm from in Seattle or something it's like an hour and a half of paperwork and a bunch of BS. And so, so I think that a lot of what I'm getting at is like here, you really need to be, you need to be responsible for your own safety and you, and you need yeah. to take your own precautions. And I, I think but that's you, the way it should be. Will you learn? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, um, it, you, yeah, you're more, you're more responsible for yourself. Yeah, you're autonomous. It's like less red tape, less bureaucracy. If, if you want to employ, if, you know, if no you need health and what, what's the political term for that? Like yeah, Ron Paul, his, his whole libertarian, libertarian. It's mo- very much more, mm-hmm. you're, you're responsible mm-hmm. for your own body and being. And yeah. And, and if you need, if, if you need a fucking shelf putting up in your house or, or, you know, a, a true box installed, you can get it done very cheap by, you know, someone who, who wants to do the work and, and there's no insurance, there's no health and safety, there's no fucking this and that. It's just easy. I like it because it's easy and I love Thai people. And I, but I the government's the so full of bureaucracy. Like, that's the thing. Like, if paperwork, yeah, and just stupid shit, like dealing with <laughs> visas and all that stuff, it's like, it's like you're going back 50 years, you know, like when you walk into those, it's like being in the DMV uh, in America or right. probably Canada where yeah. you walk in there and you're like, this is a sad place. Like this is a this is a horrible place to exist. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Can you think of like somewhere that you've been that you felt was pretty dangerous? Uh, yeah, the most dangerous place I've ever met was Mexico. Uh, Mexico. Cancun. Yeah, yeah. When, when we went outside the resort in Cancun, well, in fact, we didn't go to a resort. We were backpacking. Oh really? Uh, so that was a bit squirrely. Yeah. In, yeah, in Mexico for sure. You can be in the wrong place. I yeah. think kind of South America, Central but, America but in general. Okay. There's all, yeah, no, I, I mean... I, and I, I know I asked you that question, Riley, but actually, every place I've been that people said dangerous has been... It's yeah. been all right. You've just got to be fucking... Yeah. You know, have your wits about you, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. don't be, obviously be... The rule of thumb is don't be by yourself at night on a dark street. Um, mm. You know, that's kind of just one-on-one in any But you city. might not do that in your hometown, right? Mm. Yeah. That's the fucking point, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the different levels of dangerous, you know... Like, are we talking there's murders happening outside of this Mexico City? Like, people are disappearing? Or are we talking there's pickpocketing going on? Right. Yes. Like, what kind of dangerous yeah. are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And you walk through Small Spain. Latte, yeah. Like, you go through, like, Madrid or something, and they say pickpocketing is very oh, common. So bad, like, is, that, yeah. is that dangerous? Like, what's your definition of dangerous, I guess? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Have you guys ever seen a pickpocketing happen? No. Have you? Um, in Cambodia once, I was... Someone tried to snatch my phone from a motorbike. I yeah. was standing on the side. I of the think road. about that sometimes when I'm fucking doing my thing. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah, so happened, to me, happened to me once in my four-year career out here. Did he get? I it? I was doing something really stupid. Um, I was in Cambodia, 
and um, he didn't get it. Yeah. My grip was good. I got these CrossFit hands. Um, <laughs> so, but I was like, you know, low key distressed for shocked for the next 30 minutes or whatever. First time I've ever been, you know, grabbed Ruffled. at. In my I've life. seen it yeah. in, in Saigon a few times. Yeah. I know going after girls purses and stuff. Yeah, and, and I know uh, three people personally that who have gotten their purses, uh, snatched in Saigon. That does happen. Unfortunately, it's sad. Yeah. One uh, time when I was in Barcelona when I was 18, it was my first time abroad. I was with buddies and we were, I don't know, we were drinking in like a, or we maybe we were walking on the street and this dude on a bike was biking and he grabbed this girl's purse out of her hand and then kept biking and then fucking ate shit into a pole oh. and she caught up with him nice. and fucking like smacked him like five times <laughs> took her purse nice. back so. and the guy like kind of like cowered and like rode his bike all hurt off it was like the most like instant karma situation yes. ever it was really? dope <laughs> i wish I, so, yeah. so where have you been in africa uh yeah 2016 we went to uh kenya for a oh, month nice. um, because our our best buddy who we also grew up with in elementary school uh is based there and does business down there in nairobi for the past like freaking five years what wow. does he do and um uh he's a kenyan cowboy <laughs> he's no but literally that's i've a, seen him on vice that's, uh, yeah, news. yeah, no, yeah that's yeah. kind of it's kind of overall um could be a way to, to look at it is like Africa is still the wild west and there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, the next generation sure. and he's down there involved in tons of entrepreneurial projects. So he's just a fucking awesome. He was an entrepreneur like even before me like in high school he had his own t-shirt brand and he was always hustling, fake IDs and like he was total hustler <laughs> another, and then yeah. another type. I, 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 we, had, then, we had a little fake ID ring going on Everyone and I, did that. Yeah. yeah. And then um it was the hustlers, the ambitious ones. Yeah. And um then a volunteer project in Kenya, you know, gets you into it. And that's how yeah. everyone gets started in Africa. It starts with volunteering and then they meet someone that they clicked with. So he actually met like a young hustler entrepreneur guy, totally about his business. Like, yo, Blake, let's get this money. And Blake was like, I guess he said, all right. And so they were it. just like having their hands in all these different like import, export, crypto. He's got some bungalows that he invested on the coast and he owns 50% of that and cash flows that. Um, bunch of stuff. So yeah, he's just oh, a great. cowboy hustling. It's sort of like a macro question, but it seems like a lot of your homies are super entrepreneurial. Like, what do you kind yeah. of attribute that to? Like, like, did you see ceilings of that when you were younger? Like, were you guys all just like were risk risk takers and wanted to start your own thing or what? Um, yeah, I, hmm. I think Blake was probably the first entrepreneur out of all of us with the hustling. Um, you know, we had some hustling, I guess, like pretty popular drug dealer friends, I guess. <laughs> uh, but no, I think the, the real core of it was, um, our core group of, of friends, at least me, Parker, like Danny, uh, we're all, you know, international dudes, I guess now. Um, it just, I don't know, comes from that just, you know, I call it like rapper mentality. Like, let's get this money and <laughs> let's, you get know, this let's get this paper and live that life. Like, yeah. you know, we all grew up listening to, you know, Birdman and Lil Wayne and, you know, <laughs> Puff Daddy, whoever your favorite was. Ours, ours was like Lil Wayne and, and Birdman. And, you know, we literally in fourth grade, we were like watching the hot boys and they had this <laughs> little gang of, you know, four guys. And they're just like so cool. And they're all about money and cars and, you know, girls and. Yeah, I guess some some kids click with that, yeah. uh, with that real entrepreneurial mindset of the, uh, you know, because 
yeah, hip hop, I guess in general is very entrepreneurial, is very anti nine to five for sure. You know, they're, they're all rapping about screw the nine to five and yeah, some kids take that to heart, I guess. Yeah. And, um, also, um, you know, we're good athletes in general and, um, had confidence. So, you know, some yeah. kids have confidence there where like they can believe, they believe that they can achieve pretty much what they want in life. And like, I'm going to be successful. And some kids I think are born it's with It's amazing it. how powerful that, even yeah. if it's like half false confidence in the beginning. Yeah. How, how important that is in life to, yeah. to, you know, achieve a good goals. start. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, do you mind me asking like you, Seattle's quite a well-off city, right? It, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. sure there are parts of right. the city. Yeah, right? no, but it's definitely it's doing well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's doing well. Um, yeah. What what was your question? I guess. Well, um, like I, I I grew up very poor. Yeah, and uh, none of my friends are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One real quick interje- interjection, though, I do think like the, the entrepreneur entrepreneurship being cool is also kind of a new thing, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, because how old are you? Because I'm 39. So yeah, I just turned 29. I think right, okay. I, I've heard yeah, Gary yeah. V kind of talk about it before, and he's like, it's crazy to me that entrepreneurs are looked at the way they are now because 15, 20 years ago or, you know, before like the Steve Jobs, yeah. like it yeah. wasn't that right, way. Actually, yeah, because a lot of younger people I know, even from my hometown, are sort of onto internet businesses and shit like that. Yeah, so and maybe I think it is a, a lot of that well. goes, if we want to get into it, is that like, that nine to five formula worked really well in for most of the 20th century. Like our yeah. parents' generation, yeah. there was a playbook you could follow and you could get a white picket fence house in Bellevue mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. Yeah. And now that's a little bit harder with student loans and shit. Yeah. And now the yeah. entrepreneurial with the computers and computer science aspect yeah, of yeah. it, I, th- I think it is yeah, kind of shifted. Uh, yeah. It's weird. Cause now there's this kind of entrepreneurial category where it's like create a freedom business. Yeah. Now there's a, there now there's an entrepreneurial path you can take that, unlocks your life like literally <laughs> like so what's now, that now the kids don't want the, the picket fence they want the business that ching unlocks okay. their life as far yeah. as making passive income like yeah. through their phone through their magical laptop um where it's you can you can make uh good money well you can make however much money you want but you can make money uh through your laptop and um if you happen to have some sort of uh, desire to travel, then you can definitely do that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, live in different places, you know, once every couple of years, whatever. But yeah, there's a whole new, um, job economy with this whole remote working thing. Yeah. And this is yeah, still kind of the beginnings of it. And yeah. Cause I suppose it didn't exist 20 years ago because no, the internet yeah, it wasn't, wasn't feasible. And think about the tools that we have now to like, if we were creating a company, I would 100% start it as a remote nice. company and be able to yeah. hire people from yeah. all over the place that are great at their job as opposed to yeah. 10 mile radius and, you know. Yeah, why so, would you it's like, you know, my parents used to tell me like keep your options open. Like why would you limit yourself to one to being based in one city um when you know the world is huge and there's talent all around the world and you can build a remote company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. this this internet business thing it's huge, and the internet's still relatively new, as they say, you yeah. know, obviously. And so, yeah, we are part of the internet generation, and we are the first generation to reap those rewards. And yeah. we happen to be able to live in uh, tropical countries. It's awesome to say. Do yeah. like so. I, I do remote work myself. Do you do you guys ever try to remind yourself of like how thinking back, how shitty of a feeling it was? 
like the Sunday scaries or waking up Ooh. on a Monday morning and, well, and knowing how, what that's like, I, like that, that feeling you get in your gut. I try to remind myself of that sometimes. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. I've only been consulting since, uh, May. Right. So that's six months. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that feeling six months ago and now, um, I was telling, I've been telling Willie a lot, Riley, my life is so much better now. So I'd, you're working for yourself now, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a consultant now, uh, doing like logistics uh, design, and you know. And you've got an expertise, and it's like it's interesting to compare contrast to like when you had your job mm. and you felt like pigeonholed into that, and then once you got so, out of it, and you're like making more money now, I'm and you have so all happy. this freedom, and it's I'm like, so happy, holy like, shit! I fucking. Why I, did I, I wait so long? I've said it yeah. ad nauseum on this podcast, but I wake up on a morning now and I can fucking go for a run around Benja Kitty, yeah, uh, and start work at ten o'clock, and I still get my work done, and I, I I get my work done in three or four hours that would normally take me eight hours, you know, and uh, I, I'm so fucking happy, and I, I've I've got at least a year's salary in the bank at the moment. Yeah, and there you go. Congrats. Just. I'm super fucking happy. Yeah, I know. I'm it's really good to remind. Happy. I try to remind really myself happy. of that of those like those wins, you know, that you have in the bank yeah, and all that. But I'm late to it. I mean, you, you guys have been doing it for years <laughs> now, but I, I'm late to yeah. it. So thank you for for giving me the inspiration. You know, <laughs> no, it's, it's never too cool. late. Like that's yeah. the thing I want to hammer home. Um, yeah, never too late. Um, you know, you at 39, whatever. My mm. mom in her 60s, she has an Amazon product up. Yeah, um, nice. And, uh, you know, not that that's going to, not that that's a lot of money for her. She has a, a little prod, product that makes her like 800 bucks a month uh, on Take Amazon. But, you know, a little bit of a little bit of an internet business going. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, never too late to start an internet business. Or, mm. um, you know, if you have an old type career, like, let's say you're a, yeah, a lawyer or Accountant. a construction person, like, create a website, create a blog. Make some content, go on LinkedIn, make some connections, and bring it freelance and spend more time with your family. Yeah. Like, right. Me and Willie are sort of uh, closet hippies as well. We, uh, oh, yeah. we we like our grounding, man. So we go, <laughs> so, yeah. we, we take our shoes and socks off oh, and, my God. and rub our feet in the grass and feel our energy. See, that's go, the thing. I, I go through die. to Mother Earth. I love that. You. I have like a little piece it's of cool, carpet man. and I'll do that. At the end of the day, I'll take my socks off and yeah. then I put my feet on this little shitty 100-bot bath mat <laughs> to, to emulate that feeling. Cause I, I think do, the idea is, is like touching the earth, right. though, bro. Yeah. 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 I, just, I like the sensation on the bottom of my feet, you know, after yeah. a long day at work. Yeah. But and yeah. is it the one that's underneath your toilet that's, like, full of urine and shit? No, that, I have a separate one. I have two. <laughs> he actually I'm balling. I, I got two. I got 200-bot bath 200 mats. 200-bot mats. I'm kicking ass over here. Yeah. Occasionally, if you're stretched, though, will you use your, your cum rag and just put right. your feet on top of that? Sometimes. Uh, only when I'm shoving it under my bed, you know? <laughs> so no one can, when I have company, I got to keep it classy, you know? Well, when was the last time you either washed or checked or swapped your cum rag for oh, another one? God, um, still the rag. Uh, never. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, when you never. take it out, is it like a piece of cardboard? No, you never. No, you're, that's one of those things. I mean, maybe I'll rinse it out once in a while, but no, you never. Um, it's like, like, a, it's like a tattoo. It once like once you, it's like a tattoo. Once you got it, it's just that's what it is forever, <laughs> you know? You'd never. That's how it is. And then, and then honestly, you just go to Lotus and buy a new one. Yeah. Twenty baht or whatever. So have once you got a particular brand once, once, or <laughs> no, I, that you use for your cum rags? So like a yeah, particular I'm a, I'm a, style? I'm or? a Nike guy. Yeah, Nike guy. <laughs> Nike cum rags. <laughs> Just do it. I, got, I only jack off on a name brand. Rags. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of course, you got to get the right color right. because on black it shows I'm not up. An right. 
Right. I, I like a red or a, a soft blue. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because it hides the. Uh, right. Do you have the Nike the meme on your, on the rag? The, the uh, yeah, believe in something even if it means sacrificing yeah, everything. Is that printed? Right. Is that printed on your rag? All right, yeah. good man. Good man. Do, 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 do you remember growing up and and, wank, and, and masturbating <laughs> when you were young? Right. Your, your mum and dad must have known. Right. Of course. Because I used to wank into socks. And then just put them at the like, back of my likewise. drawer. And my mum used to, like, clean my drawers out. And I used to <laughs> spend fucking hours in the toilet and tape magazines in there, like the catalogue that, you know, the... You the, were pre-internet. Whatever Completely, catalog. huh? Yeah, so to look at the lingerie section. Yeah, and and looking true. back, man, mum and dad must have known. Do you guys remember... Uh, like, been a dirty maybe, little bastard. Uh, maybe you guys would. Sports Illustrated swimsuit. Yeah, of course. Patrick Nemkova, 2000... I, that's like bro that was what's like the date? she was wearing, like a, oh she was wearing like a red and white yeah, thing right. yeah yeah you know, she's do, you, like, she, do you know what it is oh my God. No, no, do you know have you ever heard of sports i've heard of it yeah. so they, every year they in obviously it's it was huge edition. back yeah. in the day and now it just yeah. means nothing because the internet is right. ruined that kind of shit but yeah. like for for like like teens like it was like no no that was huge man yeah because we you'd like us or our friends would all have Sports Illustrated uh, subscriptions, so you get the magazine every month, every week. Right. But right. then one time a year, you get just like this porn magazine, basically, right. and that was <laughs> what it was all about. That so, so you're 27, one, yeah. 28. Petra yeah. Nankova, uh, that was yeah. She was the yeah. truth. She was fucking smoking. Yeah. They're still on Petra. <laughs> yeah, fucking shut up about. Them. I think I actually follow her on Instagram. <laughs> really? I'm just like, just for old times' That's sake. So funny. Still right, now. Exactly. Some actually, little known fact: she was in the <laughs> tsunami, 2004 right. Thai tsunami yeah. in like uh, Phuket. Right. Right. Survived yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. One love Petra. Man, what I, what I would do to be a drop Shout of out water? To Petra. What I do to be a drop of water in that tsunami that washed her away, just to, <laughs> just to brush up against her. Was she wearing a swimsuit? I don't know. That's a tragedy. We probably should make fun of it. So I've been spending a lot more time in in Phuket lately, and it is sort of like interesting the fact that that place got just completely trampled by uh, that tsunami. And like, there's really like nobody really talks about it from what I can understand down there. They made the movie. What, there was a movie? Yeah, what, there like was a John McGregor. Cusack or something like that? Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, that's that what it was. Yeah, I love yeah. Ewan McGregor. Was it that two-part HBO thing? Where did they get John Cusack? <laughs> <laughs> there was a two, I, I, the only thing I saw was a two-part HBO documentary. No, no, it was, a, it was like a full-out like movie. And, uh, so, no, anyway, so anyway, so like a lot of those hotels, like they got partially fucked up, but partially, a lot of them didn't, and they just kind of rebuilt it like you know they do in Thailand. And Jesus. like the, a lot of them, they say are like, well, they're like haunted hotels. Like there's bodies still oh, in those cool. basements and shit like wow. that. But, but yeah. you and I talk about this on the on the podcast ad nauseum, don't we? Like the death in Thailand is different, isn't it? Like very different. Uh, yeah. Buddhism people uh, like like Wait, you guys couldn't come to to this podcast in the week because I buried my uncle Lung Chit. That's right. Sorry uh, to hear that. I, I sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry to hear but he he was yeah. like the town drunk, and he basically fell into the local Klong drunk and couldn't get Jesus. out, which, which is harrowing. But uh, well, was he driving? No, walking. Two months before, though, as you know, he drove his car into it. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and and they had to pull him out. He had to oh, pay man. like five thousand baht to be to be pulled out. But um, there's this. That, I love so, the photo. A good price. The photo of you <laughs> and him, where you haven't ashed your cigarette for like two minutes, is such a great <laughs> one. Oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's a. But, um, that's I think so, I saw you post those on Facebook. Yeah. So, so we buried him uh, on on Wednesday, but but what's interesting is that. that 
the, the coffin's open when they're just about to burn him. Right, right. And everybody's taking selfies and, yeah, and, yeah. and like, w- w- when the body comes out, everybody's fishing around for teeth and, and teeth. like, yeah, because yeah, it's for lucky they, they put the teeth in, in, like, on a necklace yeah. or something. I was at a funeral. It's so different. I was at a funeral uh, three weeks ago. It was a week, it was actually the ceremony before the funeral. I didn't go there for the actual burning, mm. but I was there when they, everyone got to see the body before it was put into the, the burning casket, mm-hmm. yeah, right. And I had to like help them move the body. It was my who died. Oh, I'm a really good family member. It was uh, <laughs> it was like my mom's great aunt or something like that. Oh, okay. And uh, but dude, they were going like Facebook Live with this shit, <gasps> and they're like, Ties love going live." Right. And it's like, this is not. Is that like are they, why are they doing that? You know, Death right? And dead body. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's that would be like shit. such right. unbelievably poor form in, right. in most of our cultures. Exactly. But here it's just. It's another day. It's a Tuesday or whatever, yeah. you know, and you're having a funeral. I feel like it's because of Buddhism. In Buddhism, it's like, um, I hate to get all hippy-dippy, but uh, it's like death is actually, you know, a, you know they, they see it as a cycle. So death yeah, is a part else. of the it's cycle. It's not the end, yeah. Right. right. So exactly. it's not, they don't see it as the end. So. And do you think that that get, has part of the reason that they are just sort of like devil may care in the way that they drive their cars and live their lives? And it's just like they are much less like safety oriented. Yeah, and, and, I, and I've heard a, a couple of your uh, appearances on, on uh, THC, the Hide Side Chats, and, uh, and, and a few other people have been on there as well. And you're right, at some key moments when you're just discussing like the key uh, points or just getting da- right down into the weeds, it's, it's more often than not that the you'll get some kind of break in, in the audio or you know Skype will suddenly mess up or something. So I, I think there's something to that, John. I think that the man is out there trying to stop us spreading our message. I, I really do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely right, Vicky. I mean, when I was on uh, Gramerica and I was saying uh, the different names of the people that were in the Council for National Policy, for example, every name I mentioned, there was an every time I mentioned a name, there was an audio drop. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's a friend of mine, a uh, great Canadian, who's uh, part of the Gramerica uh, Discord group. He's actually got uh, audio recording of that happening. Uh, so it's really interesting, you know, when you're saying all this information and you start getting drops. Or, for example, just out of nowhere, you know, I'm talking to Greg Carlwood on THC on my, on my second podcast. And my internet just, I mean, not my internet, my computer just completely shuts off. Just shuts <laughs> off for no reason. I had no issues beforehand, just completely off. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, that's, that's new. Yeah. Um, well, well, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That way. It, it, it's almost like uh, on CNN. If anybody said anything anti-Hillary, all of a sudden there's uh, beep. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost the connection, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John, um, I, I know you've got quite an extraordinary um, and really touching uh, history, um, w- w- uh, and, and I think that kind of led you to to uh, p- uh, kind of pointed you in the direction that, that you've gone in. Uh, is that fair to say? And can you just give us a little, um, a little sort of brief uh, history of, of, of John Brisson and tell us how you got to where you are today? Yeah, uh, Mickey, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I guess, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of people are listening. Um, they've had family members in their own personal life who were ill or they were ill themselves. Um, so for myself, uh, I was born extremely premature, uh, back in 1985, I was born three months premature. I was supposed to be born in December. I was born in September instead. Uh, um, shit. so yeah, they, so you're a baby 1985. 
So, so, yeah. you're, so you're 30, oh shit, so you're the same age as Willie, but yeah, five years younger than me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 back then they didn't even, you know, I wasn't, you know, my mom had systemic lupus. Uh, they told her to abort me because, you know, I didn't think that, she, you know, she survived the pregnancy mm. or anything. I'd survived the pregnancy and my mom wouldn't because she was a staunch Catholic. And uh, so when I was born, I was actually born dead. They had to resuscitate me. Um, and, uh, you know, I did end up being okay uh, through it through the most part. Um, I mean, I was up in the UNC Chapel Hill for a long time. They haven't even built the, uh, the, the neonatal unit in Fayetteville yet, uh, the, the city that I live in, you know, raised in now. Uh, so they actually they finally had built it and opened it up, and they transferred me back there. Um, and I actually still went to UNC Chapel Hill a lot. And uh, they were running some special program where they were monitoring children who were extremely premature at the time. And uh, I don't have any regulation of any tests that they had done to me or anything. I can't even get hold of my medical records from that time period. Um, I don't. I asked my grandpa about it. He says, I don't know, they just they would bring in a whole bunch of psychiatrists and, you know, and psychologists and everything and doctors and they would look over me. So I have no idea what it was about. I just find it interesting that I can't get my medical records from Chapel Hill. I tried to. Uh, when I talk about my son Abel later, I tried to get my medical records when he was up there and wasn't able to. Mm. Um, so uh, I was sickly most of my most of my life. Had asthma, had allergies. My appendix burst when I was uh, around the age of thirteen. Uh, almost died from that. I went a month in the hospital. Uh, lost a whole bunch of weight and everything. Uh, my mother died from lupus when I was seven. Oh, um, shit. And my father was one of the first uh, people in the United States diagnosed with hepatitis C in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and he actually uh, took the first, was for the first trial for ribavirin, uh, pegylated interferon, um, done by Duke University um, in the, I think it was around 1996-ish, 1997. Mm. Um, so I grew up uh, with him being sick a lot and it helped take care of him. So, um, so how did your father contract that, uh, John? Was he was he an intravenous drug user? Or? Yes, he used heroin in the 1970s. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was a minefield. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Um, now, why it took so long to manifest itself virally, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, they, they think he must have got, must have contracted it around then. Um, wow. Because he wasn't using, to my knowledge, he used later when I was in high school when they got him addicted to Oxycontin and everything because of his pain of his liver. Yeah. Um, and he decided to start, uh, mainlining Oxy, which was, which was, you know, Whoa. <laughs> fairly young, but I mean, it's fairly common now yeah. you know, in, yeah. in the United States, but back then it wasn't, you know, it was just starting. I don't blame him for it. Cause he was in a lot of pain and everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember, you know, taking care of him. And when I was in high school and he'd throw up all the time and just be sick and every, you know, and he eventually had to quit his job and his mind going from the liver failure and from all the drugs and everything. And, I mean, I'm not, I mean, that was like, when I tell people this, I lost both my parents. My dad later died when I was 18 um, and, and everything. But right before I went off to college and I later, later had a mental breakdown uh, and came back. Um, but uh, people tell me I have such a hard childhood, you know, because I lost both my parents and, and I was sickly and everything. And, you know, my dad was a, a drug user. But in reality, you know, it wasn't necessarily the case. My grandparents helped raise me. Um, even though my father did later succumb to drug use later on, uh, you know, when I was around the age of 14, you know, to 18, um, he was an excellent father. I mean, he loved me. He took great care of me. He expected a lot from me. 
Um, you know, and actually he was a big conspiracy theorist. Um, (laughs) and I used to watch X-Files and sliders with him growing up. (laughs) What was some of his favorite conspiracies? Um, he believed at the time a lot in UFOs, uh, and then the JFK assassination. Um, there wasn't really a lot. Uh, I mean, he, when nine 11 happened, he, he didn't necessarily believe the official story for that either. Um, he didn't know as much as we obviously know now, but he really didn't believe in it, um, full heartedly. Um, the story of course, of the basic narrative of, of it being, um, you know, terrorists and stuff like that, you know, some of Laden and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I, he, he had that mindset. Now, I didn't at the time. I was a neocon. I loved Sean Hannity and Brush Limbaugh. I got my politics <laughs> from my grandfather. You know, I thought my dad was crazy. Uh, I mean, he was diagnosed uh, paranoid schizophrenic, for God's sakes. You know, so I was just, you know, most of the time I was just like, whatever, dad. You know, but I mean, he, it turned out later he was right. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I wish every day I could tell him, you know, hey, you're right and I was wrong. But I remember listening to Coast to Coast AM with them at night, you know, our bell. Um, R.I.P. Uh, yes. And I, and I, 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 I he, it's funny how I look back on everything and I was like, well, damn, he was right. You know, I mean, you know, I'd look back and he'd sometimes be worried that the flower van, you know, down the street was listening in to him. <laughs> you know, looking back at it now that he might've been right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so anyway, um, everything was going, I mean, after my father had died, I, I, I had a moment of breakdown. I came home. I, I met my wife. Um, and I kind of adjusted, you know, adjusted everything and, you know, went to work. Uh, one of my favorite jobs I like to tell people is I worked for the federal government for a short period of time, uh, where I dressed Ooh. up as a role player, uh, <laughs> down at Fort Bragg as an Iraqi role player and, uh, got paid, uh, uh, 15, $16 an hour to shoot fake uh, AK 47s at the, at, at the soldiers and stuff like that. And role play and <laughs> nice. everything. It was a pretty, pretty cool job. That sounds fun. I did that for a couple of years. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. You get to play cards a lot. And, uh, the only thing that sucked is is being out in the middle of uh, nowhere, out in you know Fort Bragg at like three o'clock in the morning. You know, in the middle of winter. You know, that sucks. But hey, if the soldiers could do it, so could I. Um, so everything was going pretty well, and until my second son Abel was born um, back in 2011, uh, he was born um, with a condition called congenital myopathy with excess muscle spindles. Uh, which was just the name. He was actually six diagnosed in the whole entire world with it um, at the time. And, uh, and uh, my wife had a difficult preg- pregnancy with him. She had polyhydramos, which means, you know, she had carried a lot of fluid in her and everything. Uh, she blew up like a balloon. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't move very much in, in, in the womb around 32 to 33 weeks is how we knew something was wrong. Um, but you know, his heart was still beating. So we knew he was alive. We just didn't know exactly what, why he wasn't moving. And then when he was born, um, he had a lot of contractures, you know, he could, he could, he could barely cry. He was so weak. And, um, we now knew something was wrong then, um, you know, for sure. Um, and they whisked him off to the, to the ICU. And, uh, so we went to the ICU and they were trying to figure out what was wrong with him. They put him in the NICU. Um, eventually, uh, the neonatal ICU. And, um, uh, it was funny because one of the doctors who was there, he was actually the doctor that was there when I was admitted, uh, years ago when the, the, the NICU at Kafer Valley had first opened up and he actually remembered me, um, which I thought, thought that was, that was crazy. Wow. I um, mean, he was still the pediatrician there and the other doctor, um, 
he actually, I, I'm not going to use his name, but he was, he actually told me it would probably be better off that if my son had died, um, in the womb, uh, because they thought he was going to suffer a horrible death where he'd eventually get weak or weaker, weaker, weaker until he died. Mm-hmm. Um, of course I told that doctor to, to pardon my French, but to fuck off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well at, at, at that particular time, John, you don't need that negative energy. Do you? you want everybody to, to be, uh, collectively sort of willing your son, uh, you know, back to health with positive energy, and you just don't need that fucking negativity, do you? Around at that fucking time, man, it's just disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, it shocks me, Mickey. I mean, it shocked that you know a doctor would say such a thing. Um, you know, I noticed that a lot. I mean, I noticed it now with my grandpa, who's ninety-two, and there's not much they they can do from, and sadly, not much that I can do from a natural health till he's so old. You know. They pretty much get to that point where they just wash their hands, you know, and you, some people could say United States because of Obamacare or, or because of the insurance companies or whatever. But, you know, they pretty much did that with my son. And so we took him to Chapel Hill um, and they were trying to find out what was wrong with him. And there was um, uh, the, there was one they sent a muscle biopsy to Mayo Clinic and there was one doctor who happened to see a case similar to it. Uh, out of the HRAS family, uh, uh, which they thought his uh, condition was related to, that had seen muscles similar to his, so he diagnosed him. So they told him pretty much that he was going to die and there's nothing we can do. So my wife and I talked about it for a couple of days, and we figured, you know, we didn't want him to suffer, you know, so we'd take him off because he was on a ventilator uh, for breathing, and we, 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 you know, we didn't want him to suffer anymore. So we came to the, the decision that we were going to take him off the ventilator and let him die in peace and dignity. Um, and right when we were talking about actually making that discussion, he actually spit the ventilator tube out. Um, wow. And he wasn't supposed to be able to do that. I mean, he was supposed to be very weak. His lungs should have atrophied. Should, even if he spit the tube out, he should not have been able to breathe with the tube out. His throat should have had the capacity of being able to spit the tube out. But it was a miracle. He did. And he actually could breathe better off the ventilator than on. And the doctors had no rational idea of why you know, that could have happened in the slightest bit. So I was, I was shocked, you know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I myself am a Gnostic Christian, but I, I've never really seen a, a miracle like that really, you know, in my own personal life. And then there's no rational reason why that should have happened. There's no scientific reason, reasoning for it. Mm. Um, so we, we took him home and he was doing well, uh, for a while. He started to gain weight. He was starting to be really reactive. He was getting older you know, and eventually uh, the uh, nutritionist that was at Chapel Hill, she said that he wasn't gaining enough weight, even though they didn't want him to. And uh, we had him, you know, we're playing around with putting him on my own formula that I'd made him, getting him off of the conventional formula because he had a G2. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I, you know, I, she kept pushing it and pushing it. So eventually she goes, look, he's not gaining weight like he should. You guys should not be – you guys are not feeding him right, even though the nurses said that we were, Okay. Uh, and you know, if you don't, I'm going to contact the hospital social worker. We're going to get CPS involved. <laughs> I should have told her to screw off at the time, but I was much younger. So I got scared and I said, fine. So I let them, you know, put him fully back on their formula and increase the feeding. Well, he started aspirating into his lungs, uh, you know, coughing up the feed cause he was getting too much of it. He was coughing mm-hmm. up into his lungs and uh, he kept, so he kept going back to the hospital with aspiration pneumonia, but they weren't saying that. They were just saying it was his muscular disease was getting worse. You know, the CMES was getting worse. His lungs were getting weaker, which was not the case. 
Mm. And um, so eventually they had to trach him and put him on a vent uh, because he had a really bad aspiration episode where he stopped breathing in the hospital. So it took a couple of months of him being in Chapel Hill, but eventually I finally convinced him that he would get better when he was in the hospital because they fed him less. But when they sent him home and we increased the feed, he'd get worse. So eventually I finally convinced him that it wasn't his condition. It wasn't that he had some sort of infection. It was that they were overfeeding him. So they sent him back home and he actually started to recover. You guys, he was actually doing better. And he was actually got to the point where he was about to get off the ventilator again when all the other kids of his condition and I was giving him supplements. You know, I was giving him PQQ. I was giving him ubiquitin. I was giving him magnesium. I was giving him sun. You know, all of the kids with this condition prior to him died before about the age of two with heart failure from mitochondrial dif- uh, dif- dysfunction. Um, and he was about to turn a corner. He's about to get off the ventilator. You know, they said that it would never happen that his lungs were too damaged from the aspiration, and I'd reversed that. And lo and behold, because of all the trauma he had done to his lungs, he had a pulmonary embolism a free pulmonary embolism, and it went to his brain, and he died. Oh, man. And, and, how, old, and, and uh, how old was he, John, when he, he passed? He, he, he was around three. He was, all, he was almost about to be three years old. Okay, right. So, so what was your, what's, what's your biggest few takeaways from how the hospital handled that? And, and what, I don't want to say what would you do differently, but, but what, what were like the, the few, you know, two or three biggest things that you, that you learned from that experience about the medical industry and, and, and health and all that? Well, I learned, I mean, something I already knew, you know, practicing, you know, well, being a naturopathic author and counselor, um, is that, most doctors are entrenched in, in strictly Rockefeller Western medicine, you know, and the, his only advocate was actually his geneticist who was all, it was, she was, a uh, she was from China. Her name was Dr. Fan. Uh, she was a neurogeneticist. She had two doctorates. And when I first met her, she told me there was nothing I could do about my son that he was going to die. And she was rude. Uh, and I realized later that it wasn't, she wasn't rude at all. Like she became his big, biggest advocate. I completely turned her around. Actually at the end, she wanted me to actually go. She was trying to get me a full paid scholarship to become a doctor at UNC Chapel Hill. Like I changed her that much. <laughs> um, and she became his biggest advocate. And I learned that most doctors are entrenched you know, unless they've had some sort of outside influence, like she talked about, you know, her, her, her family back home in China, you know, they, they tackled cancer using Chinese herbs and people were, you know, were, had gotten over cancer, you know, they had gotten better and stuff like that. She's seen it with her own personal eyes, but majority of the other doctors, you know, that were strictly in Western medicine, they had no idea about that. And they'd be so entrenched in their views that, you know, I had a doctor tell me, that giving my son, which was Dr. Fan had prescribed him 200 milligrams of magnesium would make him so weak that he could barely move because we gave IV magnesium to women who had preeclampsia uh, when they're pregnant uh, that they, they become so weak that they can barely move. And I was like, so I'm going to give my son something that's prescribed to him to help him use the bathroom. And you give a woman, uh, you know, many grams of IV magnesium sulfate to make a hyper magnesium response in their body. You know, there she's trying to equate the two things together. Her ignorance on magnesium was astounding, you mm. know? So these doctors, they don't get any education on nutrition and even the nutritionists don't even understand nutrition. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you start understanding that 
you know, what, what do they really know? They go and they learn, and then you might get a good doctor who stays up with the current literature, you know, but most doctors don't. They just go based off really of what their computer tells them and what they – even if they have continuing education classes, they still don't keep up on the, the most groundbreaking research mm. um, because if they did, you know, researchers have known that uh, mycobacterium avian paratuberculosis, which is this mycobacterium that's found in ruminant animals uh, in their dairy and in their meat is the main cause of ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. Researchers have known this for almost about, I want to say almost about 20 years now, even maybe a little bit longer than that. But doctors still treat it as a, only an autoimmune condition. Wow. Okay. And there's enough literature. I mean, I've taken you know, people in my own personal life, for example, my son's occupational therapist who had ulcerative colitis. I mean, he was bleeding. He was actually about to start thinking about getting surgery. You know, you give him a diet as, you know, he drops all the ruminant animal products. He eats nothing but, you know, fish and chicken and turkey. And you have him, uh, you know, take some herbs for anti-inflammatory like Boswell and curcumin. And lo and behold, in a couple of months, he goes completely in remission. Yeah, and I think and the it, literature is all there for it. Yeah, jo John, uh, I think that, that when doctors go through their training, the, the sort of... Um, the dietary and, and food part of that is is very small, isn't it? Uh, it's it's almost yeah. like non-existent. And I, I think that what we put in our body, it, it must be, if not, the, it's one of the. It's got to be one of the most important things, you know, for our health. What we put in our body in terms of food, and it's just a wonder that doctors aren't paying more attention to this shit, you know. In, in nutrition, it, to me, from an untrained eye, it seems like it's something where we're always getting new information that the best information in nutrition seems to be, to be changing. And so if you're not keeping up on that, if you took a class and you were a doctor you became a doctor in the 1980s and you're practicing medicine in, in 2018, you know, if you're not really keeping up on that type of stuff, like your, your information is so old, so out of date. So now it's time for everyone to go to bed. But that family is not aware of John Binet's personal devil, which is also known as the third Santa. He's still in the house. He's hiding. John Binet is sleeping. Burke is in his room sleeping down the hall on another level. John and Patsy, their parents, are sleeping. He must have waited about an hour to let everyone fall into a deeper sleep so as not to get caught. How close is John Bonet's room from any of those other, from where those other family members were speak, uh, sleeping? They have a hallway, a long hallway on that floor, that level. John Bonet's room is at one end. There's a laundry room, and then there's Burke's room. You're talking a short distance, relatively speaking. On, this, on the upper level, the final level, that is where the parents are. So if, in fact, this child screamed, and she did, the problem is, according to sound experts, if you screamed from that bedroom, you would not be heard on the other levels, but more so 
if you because the because the layering of insulation and all of that but more so you you might have a better chance actually a better chance of hearing a scream but if the child screamed from the wine cellar you could not hear that scream at all. So this is kind of telling us that John Binet did not scream mm. while she was in her bedroom. John Binet screamed while she was in the wine cellar. What happened? Yeah. What happened after years and years and years of doing this and talking to many, many people, and a lot of them are experts? What I believe happened was this. This precious little baby is sound asleep and she's covered and she's having wonderful dreams. And suddenly, a stranger, the third Santa, entered her room and he's looking in and he's probably looking down the hallway at Burke's room. And he hit her with multiple attacks on a stun gun, using a stun gun. She was hit on her right side in the jaw area just below the ear. There's stun gun marks, two of them at that point. She was hit in the small of her back, just above her buttocks. On the same side, this child was hit at least twice with a stun gun to silence her, to immobilize her so that she could be removed from her bed. She's now unconscious. Yeah, and, and uh, Mama Bear, there are marks on her body that um, that that uh, back up what you're saying, right? That the, the, There were two, I think, unknown kind of small marks that, that may have been the stun gun, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, Detective Lou Smith, God rest his soul, when he was alive, he actually had an animal, a pig, which is as close as you can get to a human being and how we would respond to certain injuries. And he had someone hit this animal while it was deceased, by the way, with multiple stun gun and variety of types of stun guns. And he found that the stun gun in question, he did identify it, and he did see with his own eyes, Detective Lou Smith, that the marks on the pig that was hit with a stun gun, a Taser brand stun gun, was identical to the marks that were found below her right ear on the right side at her jawbone and in the small of her back also on the right side. So it tells me she was laying on her side and she was facing possibly the second bed. There's a second bed in there. She uses it for her friend. And this Santa came in, this secret Santa came in her room and immobilized her quickly. He hit her behind her ear. He hit her for what was exposed in her lower back area. So now she's out cold. She's immobilized. And she is now at his beck and call to be puppeteered mm. by this very evil man. So where did he take Everyone's, her? This is at the point where she must have been carried because down the railing, down the spiral staircase, her hair, 
her beautiful, long, curly blonde hair of this child was interwoven and caught by the garland. There were strands of her hair trapped in the garland. That would have only happened if he carried her, and since, in fact, she was stun-gunned, now immobilized, he had to carry this little baby down the steps mm. to have his way with her. Mm. So yeah, the hair in the garland proves it. Yeah, and, and and what a and what a very kind of light and nimble thing that would have been for this for this kind of strong uh, third Sansa to carry down the stairs. You know, uh, a little six year old kid. I mean, y- you would carry that so easily and, w- and without yeah. a problem, right? Yeah, man. It's uh, this is uh, this is a bit spooky, man, isn't it? And you know, what sort of goal do you need? What? How much of a narcissist are you to actually sort of complete the crime within the house whilst there are other people there? You know, right? Mm-hmm. So let's let's take this crime down to as she was getting carried, and and where did they go, Melinda? He took the small, helpless, defenseless baby down to the wine cellar. In the wine cellar, and possibly another room was involved. Because I have to say that another room was involved down there, and this is why. In one room where he originally took her, in the basement, it is probably the room that has the window that had been broken. When the window was broken, it has been broken by the intruder, even though John Ramsey, the father, has said repeatedly, he broke the window months earlier and never fixed it. Mm. That's what he said. However, I don't know for fact that's true. I don't believe it is. Let's just put it that way. Okay. The intruder, when he entered the house, he had to have used that window. I have a similar window, so I know exactly where it is and how it fits into the home and how you can gain access to a home if you lock yourself out well he broke it i believe the santa bill ramsey broke it and dropped down it's it's quite a drop and remember bill ramsey the third santa also known as john benet's personal devil he's only five feet six he's probably 135 pounds but he's a very strong man He has taken in the past from a variety of self-defense tactical training courses, specific training to protect himself, probably because he has the Napoleon complex. But we have evidence of that. Multiple self-defense tactical training courses and schools right here in New Jersey. And this is how I met him. But back to that basement, this child was brought to the basement, probably the room that has the concrete floor and the window that is broken because Detective Lou Smith discerned that there is a scuff mark on the wall indicating somebody was trying to either balance themselves back out of the window or they used that as a launching point when they were trying to slither down from the windowsill 
into the basement. It's a drop down. But for a smaller man, it's a clumsy drop down. You could twist your ankle. You could break your leg. Yeah. So there's a scuff mark on the wall, the side of the wall, that could only have been done with this individual trying to get down or trying to get back up the same way. Um, I work for a private school. Uh, a school? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Right, so like a high school? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So you're like, uh, you've got people coming in saying, oh, my dad's really annoying me and my parents are like, uh, oh, so-and-so's picking on me. And yeah, it's usually, oh, she was my friend last week. Now she's not my friend anymore. Oh, why doesn't she, so why doesn't she want to be my friend? Yeah, that's um, cool, man. Uh, can you say which school or, or, you don't have to, I mean, no, no, all right. Is okay. it an international school yeah, or is it? it's an international school. So is, um, what percentage Thai students as opposed to like? I would say... F- probably around 50 50 um but it's also like i change jobs a lot i think this is like my seventh job in my life so oh really yeah i've 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 started you know with a psychology degree you can do quite a lot of things yeah and i think my next job is also going to be counseling but more geared towards college counseling Right. So. Okay. So, so what's so okay? So, so you got like the typical. Oh, she was friends with me last week. And now, but what's like the most typical? Th- what what's happening with teenagers nowadays? Like, what what's the what's the big kind of worry? So, social media is a problem, right? And it is. It is quite a big problem. I would say in Asia, a massive problem is expectations yeah. and Parents, like academic yeah. drive. And, yeah. You know, having having that that you're supposed to be something. Um, you know, for the age group I work with, yeah, friendship, friendship issues, mean girls, you yeah. know, always have been, are, and will be. Yeah. Um, we're actually really lucky. I would say that compared to, for example, schools in the U.S. or oh my God, the U.K. Yeah, um, bully, Europe, bullies. Yeah. Um, oh there, it's pretty sheltered here. You know, we do, for example, ra- randomized drug testing um, yeah. on a monthly basis in high, for high school students. Yep. You get wow. any? You get any uh, hot hits? Any positive? Um, yeah, very, very rarely, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I just I, I've just done a renovation project for uh, St Andrews on uh, Ekamai. Mickey, in, in your school, growing up in the what the mid eighties, nineties, whatever, if they did drug tests, how many of you guys would have gotten? Uh, well, gotten... we used to smoke weed on lunch break <laughs> in the uh, like yeah behind the sports hall. We used to pass a joint around. So yeah, I remember yeah, we... being thirteen <laughs> in the states, and that's exactly what was happening. Yeah, yeah. my yeah. first exposure to weed was around fourteen or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of Mine the- was eleven. It was him. Yeah, F- found some old, well. find wow. some old uh, little um, roaches in his uh, wardrobe or something. And oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. To know. Your fault. <laughs> it's all your fault. So what? Uh, so so uh, older brothers are for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, to take us down a uh, yeah the wrong help, path. Help us. Uh, yeah, figure out the way. <laughs> we the light. Oh man. Oh, I'm just glad it was the weed. Yeah. Found, you know Could have been a lot yeah. worse, huh? <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> Just, just speak then. Yep. Say hello once. Hello. Hello. I can't oh, tell. Hello. I can't tell. I can't really hear you. Okay. But so crank we up. may have some technical problems. Uh, which one are you up on there? I can hear all of you. You can hear uh, Jimmy just speak as loudly as the rest yep. of us. 
Speak this again. Me. Okay, you're good enough for me now. Yeah, I can definitely hear you. All right. Okay. So and where were we? Cut back in. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we'll just leave this in. So I can't remember where we were now, but I think getting introduced to drugs and stuff. So you, you were in America at that time. and uh... Yeah, we were talking about um, teenagers right now. And I, I think oh, one, yeah, of the, yeah. one of the things is that I feel, and maybe again, a private international school, but we have pretty Different sheltered problems, kids. problems, right? You know what? Like, for example, um, we do sex ed and I teach sex ed. Oh, so okay. I get... 16 17 well 15 16 year olds like completely not knowing anything and we just you know i thought like kids were more introduced to porn nowadays they definitely are they definitely are but it's also you know there are some traditional thai families so these are Um, thais mainly a lot yeah a lot of a lot of them so it's kind of it's an it's an interesting culture clash and you know for example working in dubai and i was working with students about 16 Mm. 17 to 19 20 just from all over and yeah that was a completely different lifestyle oh my god i would get um uh and i used to teach i wasn't a counselor i taught psychology and something that's called theory of knowledge which is like a kind of philosophical metacognitive course i'm gonna write a note um no it's really interesting actually but I'd get, you know, students would throw parties and villas, you know, I have um, one of my students owned three or four Lamborghinis. Oh he was 17 so years it's like old. What it, you think of, of like a rich Dubai oil it was, team. Uh, but, but you know what? They were actually so lovely. Really? They were very lovely. It was just... Well, why wouldn't you be? I mean, when you've got no f- problems, you know. Um, you don't usually don't have parents around. You, you know, you, your driver and your nanny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. Miss, do you want my driver to get my homework? Because I forgot. I'll just call him up, and they, <laughs> that, that would that was a weekly occurrence. <sighs> So, yeah, I had girls who would come in. You know, we had uniforms, but their handbags probably were about two of my salaries. (laughs) And I was making good money in Dubai, so. Man, that's such a funny upside-down culture, you know, where there's just this small have and then the have-nots. But I can't imagine what that was like at school. Like, like, were there some people just super jealous of, of those super rich kids or no, was it because all the kids if you're able if your parents or your parents yeah. company is able to afford yeah. um tuition in a school like that what what is but, the tuition but, in a school yeah, like that no, is no, it no, like but, but, sorry willie we'll come back to what sorry willie i, I yeah we'll, we'll come back to that but um sorry what, what i was going to say is but isn't there a different set of problems then like I've got the Lamborghini X and he's only got the Lamborghini like Y, so my Lamborghini's better than his Lamborghini. Isn't, isn't it kind of I've, like... I, you know, maybe... Or but, I've got this handbag and she's got that handbag well, and mine's definitely, like... definitely, you know, they definitely compare, but it, they were really like, it was a very open, I think because it was so multicultural and Dubai is a very open place. Yeah. I didn't want to live in the Middle East. When I got the job, it was kind of, I got a job there. I got a job in India. I got a job in Malawi. And it was sort of between those three places or staying in Poland. So I was like, all right, well, Malawi doesn't really have a cinema. Um, Mm. India, I don't think I could deal with the culture shock as, you know, the first. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, Dubai it is. And I was so surprised at how, because, because it's so international, because there's so many expats, people are very open. They're very welcoming. 
think it's there's a you know very strong community lots of people coming in from the uk and mm. from all over you know lots of really cool cultural initiatives um music nights coming up like uh design spaces so it's That's really awesome. it was I, I was there in a really really good place when the city yeah. was really starting to have a nice kind of vibe and really cool people coming in yeah i'm sorry so h- how much per year was it <laughs> I yeah think yeah it, how much school um hold on let me think it was around probably 30 to forty thousand dollars a year yeah. That's like a legit American private college tuition. Yep. That's unbelievable. Well, it'd be really difficult if your surname was West. Yes, indeed. And, indeed. Uh, you you were shopping for a shovel. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, yeah. which is a lovely segue. Thank you, James. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk. Uh, yeah, you just set me up nicely there to talk about Rose West. Yeah, because uh, you do know Rose West is Willie. No, no idea. I was about you, to get my Fred, Google out. You know, you know Fred West. You don't know Fred West is them. They're basically uh, serial killers. Um, because I was reading a book about serial killers, we've got Peter Vronsky on next. Yeah. I don't know if you know Peter. He's an author. He's an author. well, obviously you don't know him. Not a serial killer, is right. not, no. He no, likes them, but he loves them. He's like really. He's written shitloads of books on serial killers. But anyway, so I was looking at serial killers, and it turns out Rose West has won the uh, the the Bake Off, the uh, British prison like Bake Off. And she uh, was a, a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. She, she basically <laughs> murdered like something like some obscure some crazy one. like 15 girls buried, buried in to, the garden yeah oh. they, she used to pick them up for with they like used to drive around in the or? car and she'd like oh get in the car little girls like kids well or i think pretty young some of them yeah, yeah. like teens got it and they used to fucking hang them up on meat cleavers and oh, chop them up and now and she's and, making like the best chocolate chip yeah, cookies she's in a cereal baker <laughs> she's a cereal <laughs> baker <laughs> <laughs> I like you, James. Yeah. Uh, so let, do, just let me read the story here. Um, where is it? Uh, Rose West wins Britain. Britain da, da, da. Rose West wins prison Bake Off competition after impressing fellow lags with Victoria Sponge Cake. <laughs> like no mention that, that like she's a Sunday fucking, sport headline. Yeah, that <laughs> literally. No mention that she's a sexual deviant murdering bitch. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, impressive fellow lags with Victoria Sponge Cake. <laughs> We're all supposed to go, ooh, isn't that nice? <laughs> West, who was locked up for life in 1995 for murdering 10 girls and women, is said to have impressed fellow prisoners with a sweet treat. <laughs> Just well, the way this is written. Notorious serial killer Rose West has won the first Brit prize in prison bake-off competition with Victoria Sponge Cake, it's reported. West, oh. I don't know why it repeats like that. But. I can't believe that they have that competition in prison. Yeah. A well, bake-off. She may be a beast, but her icing is to die for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And apparently she's really fat. She's really fat now. And uh, a lot of... Uh, I heard this on the radio that a lot of inmates don't like her uh, because obviously she's she's horrible. Uh, and she enamors them by baking like sweet, sweet treats oh. for them. Mm. That's fucked up though, right? I mean... I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that, but it just like a reality TV show. Yeah, a really horrible one. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, do they do? They don't have like shit in America's prisons, do they? Not that I know of, but uh, it's all like I mean, gang rape and stuff in there. (laughs) The best gang rape competition of 2018 (laughs) came down to the wire. No Victoria sponges. (laughs) 
uh, except this time it wasn't jam coming out from between the two uh, buns. <sighs> Ouch. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was bad. So, James, <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, you two are filmmakers, right? That's yeah. your gig. Right, yeah. Or, uh, so, a- anything we might have seen? No, I'm, I'm joking, but... Titanic, um, Avatar. Yeah. Anything, you know, like uh, Johnny Depp has been in it? No. But se- seriously, you're, you're over in Thailand doing that, man. It sounds fucking so, so cool, man. Uh, and you're making a living from doing this? and Or is this a side hustle? Well, I, I, I've been in Thailand for 18 years, and I... I, I I've been a writer the whole time, so I, yeah. I I was into books and I'd write books and stuff like yeah. that. And yes, then uh, one here, yeah, yeah, Red Knight Zone, yeah, James A. Newman, right. Yes. So I first came over to Thailand in two thousand and one, just after the uh, uh, Twin Towers uh, yeah. debacle, yeah. And, um, not because of the Twin Towers debacle. Well, though. not specifically because of the Twin Towers, um, <laughs> but a lot of people were moving this way after that event. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really strange coming to Thailand in 2001 and seeing these dudes with, like, Bin Laden T-shirts on. Really? You would, you, Thai, yeah, Thai yeah. dudes? Thai guys well, Bin really? Laden T-shirts I mean, don't on. you guys see nowadays, like, you'll see ignorant Thai people wearing like Nazi gear and stuff like right. that. And they're doing it out of ignorance, I think not malice, but I don't yeah. know if it's along that same stream it of consciousness. Is, I think. And with, with the bin laden thing, uh, we'd been bombarded with American media telling us that, um, that we were right to go into the middle East. Yeah. And, um, um, we were fighting the good cause. And yeah. then I came over to the far East and these guys were like, Hold on, hold um, up. Maybe the American campaign wasn't the correct thing to do, mm. and it just opened my mind, you know, yeah. um, to that. And with the you got woke, uh, yeah, I kind of woke up a little bit, and yeah. then I started writing, um, and I started um, developing uh, books and film ideas and stuff like that. But to go back to the Nazi thing. Um, <laughs> Always back to the Nazis. Isn't it? it was a symbol, and it's quite an attractive symbol, isn't the it? Swastika, with, yeah. with the swastika, yeah. The swastika, and they, it, and it, they it, stole that. It's stolen from. Yeah, um, it's a Hindu. Thing, it's, right? it's a Hindi um, yeah. symbol, which um, should be correctly um, vertical. But what Hitler did, he kind of shifted it a little bit. Yeah, forty-five degrees. Forty-five degrees. Yeah, and, yeah. and then surrounded it by red. Like, that's uh, like the ultimate, like, uh, like ripoff, isn't it? You know, like Apple, like they have these Apple fake Apple stores in in China or whatever. That's like Hitler just couldn't come up with his own shit, so he's just like, oh, that's quite nice. Let's just do it. Ru- well, he was an artist, wasn't he? I think he was, oh, he was a pictures, struggling yeah. artist. Yeah, and he was quite a good um, painter. Uh, but Quite he, good. You think? I've seen his pictures of an Alsatian. Or was that? <laughs> or was that Hitler? Or was that just on a um, on a no, American I've, I've, I've film his... TV show that? Um, uh, Philad- What's that? Always something always Phil- sunny. Yeah, you see that episode when no uh, they think they've got an original Hitler painting <laughs> and it's sort of an Alsatian. But um, yeah, so go, go on. Yeah, so I, I think that's a beautiful symbol as well. And uh, actually, if you go online, there's quite a lot of movements out there to, mm. like, take it back. But I still won't have one tattooed. 
on me. <laughs> Would you? Well, I wouldn't have a swastika tattoo. No. Um, but this one's but actually quite easily... not on my forehead. Um, but you had to add well, you there. Well, it's just uh, th- this one's like negative. This one's supposed to be positive about ah. past, past and future. But it'd be quite easy to to make that one to to one at a later date. If you had to choose, right. if you had to choose between a, a swastika and a Rose West tattoo, <laughs> yeah. which, which would you go with? And you, you had to have one of them.